I will work day in and day out. Wake up and smell the coffee. We want to return to the European Union. Another future is possible, but we've got to fight for it. Order! Hello and welcome to the Debated Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Will. And in this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Nye Davis, a lecturer in politics at Cardiff University, focusing on the Labour Party and Welsh politics, to discuss a new book that he has published, edited by him. This is my truth, Anoran Bevin in Tribune. Welcome to the podcast, Nye. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you on. Now, the first question um, I'd like to ask is, what made you want to produce this collection of um, Bevin's articles from Tribune? Well, I started um, doing a PhD about eight years ago, um, and my PhD was looking at the political thought of an Iron Bevan. Um, I was interested in trying to get to the to the heart of his his ideas, and also looking at his legacy within the Labour Party today, and those those how those ideas have have sort of been taken on within within the party. Um, and when I started my research, um, I was quite surprised right from the off that there wasn't a huge amount of published work by Bevan. There's Bevan's In Place of Fear. There was a, uh, his book, Why Not Trust the Tories, that he wrote under a pseudonym. Um, there's lots of speeches and um, parliamentary debate and things like that out there and quotes, some of them real, some of them, some of them not <laughs> real. Um, but I was surprised that his Tribune articles hadn't been published or not many of them had, had been published because um, there's over 300 of them, um, not including the the editorials when when he was the editor so right from the beginning of doing the research i thought well it's quite a shame that these are in an archive um so i had this i had the idea as i as i was writing my phd and then when i finished my phd a few years ago um to publish my phd as a book which which will be which will be out next year but i to start with i wanted to get bevan's writings out there mm-hmm. um i wanted be- the opportunity for 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 Bevan's truth to um to to be put out there because one of the reasons I I studied Bevan was because of those competing claims and the the, the debates over mm. Bevan's legacy and his the precise nature of his politics. So I thought this was a good opportunity before I put my analysis um uh, out there um to allow Bevan the the opportunity to. As, as the, the the title says, to tell his own truth um, in in that sense. Um, so there's only about there's about seventy two articles in there, which is a lot of articles, mm-hmm. but it's still only a fraction of uh, of what he wrote in in, in Tribune. But uh, I thought it was important to get these writings out there, um, and and in a more accessible format. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And what I think is, is is so interesting, as you say in the introduction, is that. Um, Bevan is well known in terms of his um, speeches, and they, as, as you say, sometimes. Um, the the quotations from them are, are, are not entirely accurate or yeah. um, somewhat misattributed. Um, but but yeah. what I think is so interesting is the emphasis so much, as, as you say in the introduction, on him being an orator, being a speechmaker, and that neglect of um, a, a lot of his um, writing. Why do you think that is? Is it, is it simply the case that because these articles were published in individual issues of, of Tribune, the um, readership of them was not as great as it could have been. Was it just that the the scale and power of his oratory sometimes made people focus on that more than necessarily on on, on his writing? Why do you think there's been this emphasis um, really on his speech making and not so much on his article writing? I, th- I think it's a, a, 
an interesting question because I think it's a bit of both, really. I think his oratory is so powerful. Um, I mean, you, you just have to read his speeches to to get a sense of um, how great an orator he was. And then when you actually get the opportunity to listen to him speak and to, to watch some of his uh, speeches, um, they are they are very powerful. And uh, so I think maybe that overshadows the writing a bit. And I, I think you're, you're right in terms of the... Um, the type of writing Bevan was was doing these were these weren't systematic pieces of writing in terms of um, they were articles week by week in, in Tribune and then in Place of Fear was the only book that that well there was as I said his book in nineteen forty four why not trust the Tories that was but that was quite a, a short book in Place of Fear was the only real. Um, book of political analysis that that Bevan produced, and it had it. It had its critics. A lot of people said that it was the ideas in the book were in place of fear were outdated. Um, I would disagree with that mm. s- somewhat, but um, I think that was the only uh, that was the only systematic or attempted being systematic that that Bevan produced. So I think maybe that's why people focus on his oratory perhaps more than his writings. Because his writings were also quite inaccessible um, beyond *In Place of Fear*, um, so it's really the oratory, the the the, the recordings of him, the the speeches in um, Labour conference and, and and in Hansard, they were the ones that were accessible. Um, so I think what what I hope with this book is that people can see he wasn't just an orator; he was um, he was actually quite a good writer um, uh, as well. I think his writing is quite journalistic, but it's underpinned by a by an uh, by a guide in political philosophy, which I, I think makes his writing, in many cases, just as powerful as as, as his oratory. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and I, I think what's interesting as well is the the scale of time uh, which he he was producing articles uh, in Tribune from um, 1937, 1938, all the way uh, until his death in in 1960. What do you think that allows us in terms of a an audience reading? Um, those um, articles, not just to see about um, how how Bevan's own political fo- philosophy um, evolved, but also how the Labour Party changed, because it, it, it's quite an extensive period, and of course you've got the um, Second World War in the middle of that. What what do you think that the the articles reflect on the way that that both Bevan and the Labour Party changed during that period? Yeah, well, I think with with Bevan, um, I had a when I was putting the collection together, I was in two minds, whether I divide it by period to make it all chronological mm. or, or um, make the chapters thematic and then chronological through there. So um, I had a bit of a tricky time deciding that. Mm. But I, I I think in the way it's structured in looking at the, the key themes, I think it, it shows potentially two things about Bevan. The first is that for, for, for Bevan, a lot of his political thought stayed quite constant he was guided by this underpinning political philosophy which i would argue didn't change a huge amount um um throughout his throughout his career and and critics of bevan say that as well as say that was a weakness of bevan that it that it didn't change but i think he um he does adapt and he does adapt to different situations but um it is being under, underpinned by that political thought so i i i think the the, the the constant is there. I think that's the first thing about Bevan, and then the second thing is because these writings are quite journalistic. He is responding. He's reacting to what's going on in the world. So I think 
I found that quite interesting when you look at these through the different themes, but also through um, uh, kind of uh, look, looking at them as a, as a chronology is he's constantly reacting to different situations, which means his, his political philosophy is being tested. Mm. Um, so what the, what these articles do is show how he tries to maintain that political philosophy, but react to, to different situations. So I, I, it shows the development of, of Bevan's, uh, Bevan's political thought to take into account I mean, his articles between 1937 and 1945 are very preoccupied with uh, with war um, and the the, um, the build-up of World War II. Um, and then afterwards, in the 1950s, particularly his, his writings on the international uh, situation, you see him developing his, his, his thought there uh, somewhat because um, he's... He's talking about the the new world that's been created and the power politics that that's been established. So he's trying to to adapt to that situation. So I think in terms of its de- the the development of Bevan's uh, Bevan's political philosophy, I think there's there there are some consistent themes there, but also um, some changes. And I think how they interact is is quite interesting. And I think in terms of the Labour Party. I think one one thing it does show, rather than a development, it's uh, it's always history repeating itself in terms of the 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 the, uh, the disagreements going on with the party. Because in in the build up in, in the lead up to World War Two, uh, of course, Bevan was was expelled from the party at one point, and uh, later on in the fifties, then he almost got expelled uh, expelled again. So that's in terms of the Labour Party. I think it demonstrates. I think it, it firstly demonstrates the disagreements that have well are still going on today, um, and they just keep coming back around. Um, but it also shows as well. I think what these articles show is that ideological conflict within the party. There's some really interesting articles by Bevan. There's a, a chapter there on the Labour Party and the trade unions, and it's really fascinating seeing um, seeing how Bevan conceptualizes the labor party he sees the labor party as a as, as a force for 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 good um and through the labor party you can you can achieve um great things but he's always frustrated by the party as well um and he's he's not afraid to speak his mind um which is which is quite interesting i mean some of the things that he he writes in there and um, i don't know how long you would have would last in the party today if he was uh, if he was writing that stuff but um I, I think it shows that ideological conflict, uh, and within that period, particularly in the 1950s, when the Bevanites and the Gateskillites, I think there was a, a personality clash there between Bevan and Gateskill. Um, but I think ideologically, they they had quite different views on the best way to try and achieve change. Um, and I think these articles demonstrate Bevan's position within that, because quite often. When I was looking at the literature on the Labour Party in this period, particularly the studies of Labour Parties, the Labour Party's political thought, its ideology, Bevan kind of gets dismissed somewhat. That that argument I said earlier that he never really changed his ideas from um, pre-war and he didn't adapt to the post-war um, post-war society. So, in a lot of these studies of Labour's political thought, Bevan and the Bevanites are seen as um, uh, not as effective uh, in in terms of their that the, uh, in, in terms of arguing for their ideas and putting forth um, their ideas coherently, but I think what this book shows is that there is something there. Um, it's not systematic, so so 
people like Anthony Crosland wrote the 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 future of socialism. Mm-hmm. Bevan never really produced the text. Um, was that detailed? And I think a lot of his writing in the nineteen fifties, in the nineteen forties, his writing seems to be quite quite. Um, uh, I, I say it goes deeper in terms of his analysis of the role of the state and the mm-hmm. role of parliament. The nineteen fifties that kind of fades away a, a bit, I think, and it goes back to first principles. Um, but I think it, it, what this book demonstrates, and and in terms of the Labour Party, I think is Bevan's contribution to the Labour Party's intellectual development, and I think that's that's quite important. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and I think what the book really demonstrates as well is um, that people often think of, of Bevan only in relation to the NHS and domestic policy, but of course he he has a, a, a great deal of. Um, Interest and spent a lot of time thinking about international affairs as well. He was, of course, mm. um, shadow foreign secretary as well. What do you think um, this um, collection? What, what what do you think his essays, uh, specifically relating to international affairs, show about Bevan's thinking in terms of Britain in um, the, the the wider world and, and and British politics as compared to? European and, and, and American politics, and, and also how um, interlinked Bevan saw um, his his own brand of socialism with international socialist movements. With with Britain's place in the world, I think Bevan in the nineteen fifties, in particular, um, saw Britain's place in the world as diminishing somewhat. Um, you had this uh, the, the the power politics going on between the USA and the Soviet Union. And I think Bevan saw attempts by um, the British government, obviously mainly conservative government in the 1950s, of trying to uh, maintain its position as a world power. I think Bevan saw that as unrealistic. Um, So there's some really interesting articles there where Bevan talks about the Suez crisis um, and obviously saw that as uh, an outrage by um, by the British government um, to, to take part in that and saw it as this one last ditch attempt to try and reclaim Britain's superior position uh, on the world stage. Um, so I think Bevan saw that as saw Britain's role as diminishing um, quite significantly post World War II. So what Bevan sought as an al- as an alternative is for Britain not to get too um, too uh, uh, en- engrossed or too engaged in this power politics. Uh, the, the world was divided by two camps capitalist USA, communist Soviet Union, and Bevan didn't want Britain to kind of join either side of these. Essentially, he argued for a third way in, in British politics. Um, there's some interesting articles there about um, about India and about Yugoslavia and about China. And Bevan saw these these countries as um, rejecting the, 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 um, the, the divide between the two camps and saw a third way, sort of a precursor to the non-aligned movement, really. And Bevan, I think, wanted Britain to be part of that. He he didn't. He wanted Britain to still have a role on the world stage. He wanted it to be an important world on the uh, role on the world stage, but didn't want military might to be the basis of mm. of that role. Um, so Bevan wanted. Um, to build links with countries like India, with, with, with countries like Yugoslavia, um, who he saw as pulling themselves away from from this uh, from this political divide, from this uh, ideological um, divide. Um, so I think that was really important for 
for Bevan, and he saw all this being done through the United Nations. I think he he, he saw the United Nations. Uh, he, he had a real vision for the UN that th- this was an opportunity for nations of the world to come together and to work collectively, and he wanted Britain to have a a, a big role in that. Um, so he saw Britain's role declining, but at the same time, particularly after the establishment of the NHS, he. And, and this, I think, comes out in in the articles. Is he did think Britain had a, a role to play in terms of being the um, taking moral leadership in the world, and I think that's what Bevan was getting at when he kind of rejected, tried to reject military power um, in favour of international cooperation. Is that he said he he's, he's very he had a lot of admiration for the development of British democracy and and the fight for democracy in Britain and how that developed over time and. I think even though he was critical, I, I, I think he had a great appreciation for the role of parliament um, and the role of British um, British political institutions. So when he writes about um, developing countries around the world, Bevan looks at these countries and says, well, we need to provide economic aid to, the, to these countries and we need mm. to develop their economies, but we also need to um, uh, almost, it's kind of a kind of a British exceptionalism in in a way that British democracy um, should be spread throughout the world. And, and the way to do that is to help countries and to support countries um, and not get yourself involved in, in, in various wars. So I think the, 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 the articles in the book demonstrate Bevan trying to apply his principles, uh, his own interpretation of democratic socialism, trying to apply those to the west, to the rest of the world, and he saw that being done not through military might, but by international cooperation. Britain playing a role in that, um, and also economic development as well. And he felt that was the way you could um, you could pr- improve international relations. Then, mm-hmm. uh, something that really comes through in um, partic- particularly some of the um, early uh, articles in the book is Bevan's emphasis, a real vociferous emphasis on the need for improvement um, to housing. And of course, as in the um, in the Attlee government, he was responsible for, for housing as, as well as healthcare. Um, what do you think drove that kind of focus? Do you think it was uh, a, a realisation as to how um, poor the, the housing stock in Britain was just in terms of his experience as an MP? Do you think it went further back um, to his, his own youth and to his own bringing where do you think that focus on housing came from i think it goes back to his to his upbringing mm. um i think um because, because one of the interesting things about bevan's uh, bevan's time as a housing minister is he he was criticized for not building enough houses um <laughs> after world war ii and um i can't remember who it was who said that Bevan was was a Tory when it came to to houses because he he wanted good quality houses um, and he was he was criticised for um, putting quality over quantity um, by by some people. But for Bevan, he said, "Well, the, the the working class deserve good housing. The 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 working people of this country deserve good quality housing." And he grew up in in, in South Wales um, as as a coal miner. He would have seen small houses and lots of people uh, li- living in living in uh, th- these houses, and he didn't want a situation where people had um, bad housing. It needed to be good quality housing um, for people. So I think I think it comes from that um, fr- from his uh, from his early life that 
instilled in him uh, the importance of of good quality housing. And it's just one of the different um, aspects. I think one thing that, particularly when we look at Bevan today and we look at Bevan and the NHS today, there is a tendency to look at Bevan's, the, the, the NHS being free at the point of delivery, that, um, that Bevan principle as the be all and end all. But for Bevan, the NHS was part of a wider transformation of society. Um, and I think housing was, was part of that. So he wanted to create thriving communities. He talked about you, know, you could leave your house and there'd be the, the, the butcher would be there and the bakers would be there and, um, part of a thriving community where people live together, work together, um, and were, were, were healthy and had good jobs. And, um, so housing was one part of that, uh, that, that wider, um, that wider focus. And I think it shows with the, the sheer variety of topics Bevan talks about in the book, um, that he saw this as all interconnected then. Yeah. Mm. Absolutely. And, and you, you touched upon it um, a, a bit earlier, but one of the things that's also really interesting is um, Bevan's discussion of parliamentary democracy and um, how, how, how important parliament was and its role within the state. What do you think was at the root of this particular um, interest in the kind of like, not just the active role um, of parliament as an MP, but also thinking about its role in, in, in a more almost constitutional and kind of like academic sense as well. Hmm. Yeah, it, it's for Bevan, um, there was a ten, there's tendency in, in, in some of the literature to see Bevan's early days in Tradiga and his time in parliament as being quite separate, that um, this uh, this theme sort of emerged, and I think maybe Michael Foote's biography kind of lent credence to this. Mm-hmm. Um, that Bevan in Tradiga was a was a syndicalist. He was a um, uh, of, of, of course he was a trade unionist, but some see that there, there was a dichotomy in Bevan's um, thinking between industrial action and Parliament. And Bevan himself, when he wrote in Place of Fear, gives the suggestion that well, up until about 1926. Bevan was um, Bevan saw power at the point of production. Um, so Bevan says when it, it got to the Triple Alliance of 1919 and then the 1926 general strike, there was an opportunity for the workers to seize power in that way, but it never happened because the the, the leaders didn't um, reckon with the subjective attitudes of the people. He described it to Parliament and and its institutions. So it. The, the kind of story of Bevan's life is seen as a, well, in he used to be a, a syndicalist and then he became a, a parliament a parliamentarian. But I think for Bevan, he always saw the importance of the political wing and the industrial wing. Um, and I think Bevan had a great reverence for um, British Parliament because he saw it as, well, eventually it became very democratic. And it speaks to his political thought as well that I, I think some of the, some of the, most interesting articles to really try and understand Bevan's political thought is when he writes about China and and the Soviet Union. Mm. Um, so for Bevan, he 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 didn't like their undemocratic um, the undemocratic aspects of these countries, but believed um, that once um, the uh, the state was in in charge of the economy and had power over the over the economy and could um, 
uh, introduce economic planning and, and public ownership, that eventually over time, people would start demanding for increased liberty and increased democratic rights. And then you'll see the flourishing of democracy in these countries. And he sort of saw so Britain in, in this sense, that mm. the Industrial Revolution was developing, workers demanded uh, increasing recognition and increasing rights. Therefore, they were, they were given rights and Parliament was a way for their views to, to, to be heard. And the country over time became more, more democratic. So for Bevan then, when he gets to Parliament in, in 1929, he sees this, he, he, he talks about it a number of times where he says that Parliament is a weapon in the class struggle. Um, and in place of fear, he sets out this um, uh, this this it's almost like working class versus ruling classes, poverty versus property. Um, so poverty in millions of people in this in this country, property of those who control private property and and uh, control the wealth. But then there was a third element, democracy. And Bevan said, po- pro- poverty uses democracy to destroy property. Um, so Bevan really had this view of Parliament as well. This is this is really transformative. Parliament. If if we can get socialists, a majority in Parliament of socialists, we can start to take control um, of the economy and and transform society. But he didn't um, he didn't think you could just get a majority in Parliament and then that's it. You can start mm-hmm. implementing everything you want. Then and there's an article in in the book where Bevan says that. Well, the way of thinking of a lot of socialists in in Britain was that once you get a majority, then you can put your your policies in place. But he said it's much more difficult than that because you have to deal with vested interests outside of Parliament. You have to deal with the House of Lords. You have to deal with the the um, justice system, with the police. There are so many different aspects of the state that you need to grapple with first before you truly have um, power. But Bevan thought the British constitution was flexible enough that if you've got a majority of socialists uh, in power, a majority of socialists in in parliament, then you could start transforming things. Um, I think his experience in the NHS probably um, solidified that within him. He said, well, look what we achieved in, in 1948 the establishment of the health service. This was a mm. this was a huge um, achievement. So in the 1950s, then when he, even when he's going through these debates with the Labour Party and probably a lot of critics on the on the on the left of the Labour Party would have said, "It's useless. It's useless, Bevan. You, you need to <laughs> uh, if you really want change, you you need to come out the party." But he had this belief that if we can get a majority in Parliament, we can start to try and capture power. Then. Um, I think that was that was key for Bevan. He saw a real revolutionary role for Parliament, which I would argue led him to neglect um, some other aspects of particularly extra parliamentary movements mm-hmm. and um, things that could be achieved that way. But it, it, it was a fundamental element of his of his political thought that you could use Parliament to to take power, getting getting a majority. So the Labour Party being the majority party in Parliament. That doesn't mean power. That doesn't mean you're you're in power because power is outside of parliament, it's within the state, it's within the economy. But you could use the instruments of parliament to obtain power for the majority of people then. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, we're coming towards uh, the end of the podcast now. Thanks uh, so much for uh, taking the time to speak to me. But I do have one final question for you. For anyone um, who is reading the book, who has uh, read the book, what do you hope 
that they will take away from it in terms of not just Bevan's writing, but also his his place in history? Yeah, I think for me, when I started doing my research into Bevan, he it was very clear to me the reason I, I chose Bevan not just because I'm I'm called Nye, but um, it was very clear to me with my interest in Welsh politics and Labour po- politics that Bevan seemed to be this totemic figure um, that uh, I mean you, you you can't read a Welsh Labour particularly a Welsh Labour politician mm. speech without seeing Bevan's name coming up. But I mean, Keir Starmer recently was 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 referencing uh, referencing Bevan, um, so he, he's got this real power within the Labour Party. But I think there is still there's still disagreements over who Bevan is and what his politics represented. There are those who um saw Bevan as a, a radical socialist who stood up for his his principles no matter what. Others see him as a kind of pragmatic institution builder and an institutional pioneer um with within Britain who understood the need to to, to compromise. So I think to I mean, I've I've tried to make my own contribution to those debates in the work that I've done, and as I said in the in in the book that I'll, I'll be at, that will be coming out next year on Bevan's political thought. Um, but I hope with this book that what I hope people get out of this and take away from this is firstly the importance of of Bevan. Um, I think particularly in trying to understand those debates within the nineteen fifties. Bevan, the name Bevan is important, but I think the ideas that Bevan represented, I think are important as well um, to consider. And I think the main thing I want people to take from this book is seeing Bevan in his, in his, or reading Bevan's own words, Mm. to, to take a step back from those debates, to take a step back from all those arguments um, and to just read Bevan as he was and try and make a judgment um, based on Bevan's uh, Bevan's own words, and I think this is a this is a really good opportunity for people to do that. Uh, I, I think um, because as I said, when I started my research, I had preconceptions about Bevan, which were changed quite significantly um, when I started reading his work in a bit more detail. Um, so yeah, I, I, I hope I hope that's what people get out of it. That Bevan is an interesting figure. I think he's an important figure, um, but it's a um, a real opportunity for people to read Bevan in a bit more detail in in his own words. So essentially, don't listen to what anything I say about Anaya Bevan. Uh, read Bevan himself. <laughs> uh, I totally concur with that. It is a fantastic book. I hope people go out and and and, and buy it if they haven't already um, bought it. Thanks so much uh, again for coming on 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 the podcast night. If people want to find out more about you and get a copy of the book um where should they go to to find out more about you and, and get a copy of the book um so i'm on i'm on twitter i'm a um sporadic tweeter um at nye underscore davis um and you can buy a copy of the book um from the university of wales press fantastic thank you once again for coming on the podcast brilliant thanks very much thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast if you've enjoyed it, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Podbeam and Amazon Music. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Debated Podcast, like us on Facebook, Debated Podcast, and if you'd like to get in touch with us, whether about appearing on an episode of the podcast or commenting on an episode that you've listened to, you can do so at thedebatedpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. I hope you listen to the next one. 